You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Synolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Synolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more, and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com Dave. Use code Dave. Today's cool fact of the day is that mindfulness is actually meeting medical school. The University of Massachusetts was a little bit ahead of the curve when it comes to looking at what's going on in your head and what it has to do with what's going on inside your body. Because in 1979, they founded a program that's since had 24,000 people trained in a method called Kabat Zen's Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, or MBSR. So this has become something that's spread around a long time ago. But now the university is breaking new ground by creating a new division in its medical school dedicated to real academic scientific study of the role of mindfulness in healthcare. And this is the first medical school division of mindfulness anywhere, and it's based on the fact that this school started doing it many years ago. The reason they did this is that they just said, quote, we recognize the deep potential synergies between the domains of medicine and meditation, and they're opening the door to new neuroscience research, efficacy studies that refine treatment and training in mindfulness interventions, novel treatments, and even digital therapeutics. What this means for you and me is that when you go to see your doctor five, 10 years from now, maybe they'll ask you what's going on inside your head, not just ask you for some symptoms and give you some pills. I'm pretty excited about a future like that, and I hope you are too. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. 
Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health/dave for an exclusive 10% off. Today's show is going to be awesome and it's going to be a little unusual. I started out my my path as a Silicon Valley engineer actually pretty skeptical to be perfectly honest. And when I tried all the things that were supposed to work like working out all the time, eating a lot less and taking a lot of antibiotics for chronic sinus infections and arthritis and things like that that I had in my teens, I realized it just didn't work. So as a rational engineer, I said, I'll just try the things that aren't supposed to work. Like I'll go to Tibet and study meditation with the masters and I will consciously and scientifically and willingly suspend my disbelief and then see what happens. And it turns out there's a name for that. It's the first step of the scientific method. It's called observation. <laughs> and so 20-something years later, I can tell you, I have observed some things that are not well explained by uh, a traditional view of mechanistic science. If you believe you're a meat robot and you really hold on to that belief, you probably won't like the interview today. However, if you think you might have something more inside there, or maybe that sometimes the universe is more interesting than it first appears, this is going to be a really interesting interview. If you heard my interview with Jack Canfield, I asked him directly, what's the deal with energy workers and things like that? It seems like a lot of the billionaires that I know actually work with people like that. And I said, Jack, you've worked with a lot more people with incredible levels of success than I have. Is this common? And he just laughed and said, of course it's common. This is standard stuff. Everyone's doing this. So given that, and given the fact that I've known a good number of people who just somehow know things or can do things that you cannot explain rationally, but are repeatable and knowable, I seek out people like that. And sometimes they seek me out, which is what happened for today's interview. Today's guest is known as Shaman Durek. Shaman Durek is a third generation shaman. He's the son of a Norwegian medicine woman and the grandson of a Haitian shaman. He started training as a shaman at 12 years old and was known as his grandmother's successor even before he was born. Now, even that could make a skeptic question things like, how the heck could you know? And the answer is because people who can do this kind of stuff, they just know. And you can either say, let me listen to this, or you can say, that can't be possible. And I'll tell you the least scientific thing you could ever say is that didn't happen because it can't. That's not called science. That's called dogma. So I'll tell you, there are people like Shaman Durek around who know cool things. And in his case, more than three decades after um, he was born and trained as a shaman, he applies ancient spiritual wisdom coupled with years of devoted study and practice to help people be more successful, happier, and to heal from things that you probably wouldn't believe. We're talking going into hospitals around the world. He speaks four different languages and has helped huge numbers of people get over things. And he just did a treatment session on me earlier today, and he has the ability to just know stuff that really he shouldn't be able to know, except he can because, well, he's a shaman. And he calls himself a spirit hacker, which is really cool. Shaman Durek, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. What'd you think of that introduction? Did I nail it? 
<laughs> I think it was great introduction. Thank you. It was very kind. The only thing is, um, my family is um, not only my grandmother is West African and Haitian. Ah, okay, got it. From Ghana, from Ghana, and when you were doing a shamanic session with me, uh, you were saying some things that sounded like they were in an African language. What mm -hmm. language was that? Uh, that's Swahili. And also there were other languages that came in from different spirits that took over my body. I definitely heard some Chinese in there. I have a Chinese spirit that comes through as well, that works on you, on your points and your body and your meridians as well. Do you speak Chinese? I don't, but it's funny because <laughs> I've been with people when the spirits come through who do speak these languages and they know exactly what I'm saying. And so you had no idea what you were saying? No. <laughs> that is fascinating. Um, I was laying uh, on the grass in my my backyard and Chapman Durek was working on aligning some energetic stuff. And I, I think I counted four different languages, but they weren't the ones you speak. At least many of them weren't. No. Uh, we have different spirits that come through because I'm a spirit shaman. So my body becomes... When I begin to do shamanic work on people, if need be, but today I had to clean out a lot of different poisons out of your body, uh, spirits will come through that are part of the ancestral line of elders, and they will come through and take over my body and begin to work on you. They'll even sing songs, um, they'll do Icaruses. It will depend on what um, elder comes through the body. What is the difference between a spirit shaman and a non-spirit shaman, whatever you call them. So most shamans that work with plant medicines or any type of um, medicines are basically raised in that understanding of that culture and understanding of the medicine and the plants in that regional area where they are. There are certain specific guidelines and certain things that they have to follow when it comes to medicine. Unfortunately, today, not all shamans who are giving plant medicines are actually trained in that very reverent way of understanding both the spirit of the plant and the plant itself. Spirit shamanism is based in the understanding that when we're chosen, we're chosen because we already have certain gifts um, about us as children. And then when we um, are you know, selected to be the next in line, certain spirits, um, we have access to certain spirits that come through. And those spirits allow us and give us the abilities that we have as we prove to them that we are devotional and reverent and, you know, respectful and have an understanding to honor people just as much as we honor spirits. We call it Talmuntu, which basically means um, to honor the spirit in the body and also honor the spirit that is out of the body. How do you know that you're not making all this stuff up? Because I know, because I see what I'm capable of doing. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm not a skeptic here at all, but there are certainly people listening who are saying, how is it that you can do this and they can't do this? The thing is, they can do this. And in order for them to do that, they, we have to remove certain energies or certain, I call it firewalls, it's the name I came up with in the body, that limit them from doing it because they've been programmed by the outside world and put into a system when they first came to earth that told them that they have to follow rules according to being good or not being good. And those rules literally didn't really have anything to do with them as a person. However, they follow those rules and they go into an institution that makes up a bunch of tests that really don't really have anything to do with them as well. And what happens is in that process, they become really good at deducting and subtracting and like following rules and taking tests. 
the other things that are happening, such as the emotional intelligence, what's happening in the peripheral, the things that they feel, all of these things are happening to people all the time. And what happens is they put more energy and more focus on the part of them that is focused on the need to achieve because when you achieve, you get love. When you create, you get love. And when you're successful or you have something going on, you get love in this world. And so that is what they focus on. So everyone has the ability to do what I can do. The thing is they're not aware that they, they have that ability. So you're saying that, that we all have more abilities inside us than we are usually tapped into many many abilities for instance uh i work with wall street execs and i teach them because they're going in and their team who are analysts how to raise their perception and open up their perception to the blind spots so that they can see things more clear and have more clarity of what they're looking at what they're dealing with inside of their um their office or you know what they're doing in their workspace and literally it changes the way they see things and they catch things they never caught before because what, what it does in your body is made up of pure spirit, your pure energy, you have pure sound moving through your body, all of your electrons, all of your molecules, every part of your body is a living consciousness. And consciousness has the ability to think independently from your own thinking. So that consciousness has the ability to take information that's coming in from nature, information from like, for, I'll use a perfect example. When you drink water, for instance, water is a living spirit. When you drink it, it reads the sensorium and synthesis of your body through your emotions. And then when it goes out into the toilet, it goes back into the water, goes back to the earth. The water then sends that message. And then when the air takes it and picks up that water and rains it down on the earth, the trees and the whole networking system in nature reads the information from that water and knows exactly how we're adapting as human beings. And so it starts to create more plants, uh, more poisons, whatever it needs to maintain the level of how we're adapting, how we're evolving. It takes the same rhythm, the same synthesis, and follows exactly what we need in order to continue adapting. The earth is very smart. Now, humans would just look at a glass of water and just drink it and have no idea that there's this whole entire system that's happening with that one glass of water. Why hasn't Western science detected this in water? because Western science doesn't understand what they're looking at. Western science focuses on things that they can actually test based on things that they feel that has a purpose in this world. So they wanna know what H2O is, so they test water based upon that element, but they don't understand what, the, what an element is. They understand it as an element based on like the element timetable, but they don't understand that the element is a spirit because they don't connect to spirit. So if they were to look at the element, understand it for more, more of what's happening on the physical plane, they would have to realize that that physical plane has a quantum level as well that connects into an emotional, that connects into a spiritual plane. And there are certain energy frequencies that they're not picking up on because they have a blind spot to it in that world. I read a really fascinating book by Candice Pert called The Molecules of Emotion. This is a woman who discovered the opiate receptor in our brains and did a lot of seminal work in neuropeptides. And towards the end of her career, she became really spiritual and just understood that what's going on inside your mind and your energy uh, controls these neuropeptides in your body. And she met with a group of shamans and had a translator working with them. And she explained what a neuropeptide was and how it all worked. And the shamans looked at each other and, and they all started laughing. And she asked her translator, why are they laughing? 
And the translator said, well, they looked at each other and they said, wow, she thinks these molecules actually exist. And the reason I'm bringing that up is that from a, a shamanic point of view, the one that, that I believe you're, you're speaking from, you, you're almost saying that these physical things are much less important than the energy or the information that's carried in them. Yes, because the physical energy is basically the, uh, how can I say, it's the projected uh, frequency or, or say uh, matter that's trapped matter, which is trapped light, trapped sound, trapped energy, and trapped data that is literally showing you in form. So what you're actually picking up on. So like, I'm giving an example. Uh, most people don't know that their body communicates. So they just do whatever they want to their body. They have no idea that their liver, their spleen, their kidney is a living organism. And it thinks and it knows and it understands everything that's going on. And your whole body does. And not only does your body, but so does nature. So does the trees. So does everything. Science can't measure some of the energy occurrences that are taking place in on this planet because one they don't have the equipment to two it requires a sound vibration to measure it from in if they want to pick up the synthesis vibration of what's happening they would need to learn how to work more with sound as a form of measuring and until they actually start seeing that as like a huge component of reading instead of just reading the way that they usually do which is putting things under a microscope when they use sound and they'll begin to see and understand and frequency, they will understand all of these layers that exist dimensionally inside a body or inside an animal, inside a cell, inside an atom that are having its own networking system that's actually creating the function of what you're experiencing. It may sound a little odd to say, well, each organ system has its own consciousness, but that is something that dozens of different healing disciplines, many of which I've benefited from, have come to understand through their own pathways. And I believe there's a uniting element behind this. If you look at what's actually happening inside our bodies or inside a tree, it doesn't really matter, although it's a slightly different form of ancient bacteria, but we have these mitochondria, I just wrote a big book about them, and they're throughout our body. And if you imagine how a distributed system with quadrillions of nodes actually would work, well, you have these ancient bacteria reading the environment around you, which is what the mitochondria do, and then making energy and even chemicals in response to that environment. So if you're a single mitochondria, one of thousands inside a cell, you don't have a lot of intelligence, but you do something, and then you work with the mitochondria that are your team inside your cell. And then you communicate with mitochondria and the cells communicate with other cells in the local area. And then they communicate in the local area. And pretty soon you've got all of the things inside the liver that are all working together, which is, quote, the liver consciousness. And it's a emergent behavior from this cooperation of many tiny little nodes. And that's a function specific to that organ. And of course, what comes in and out of that is electrical signals that talk with all the other organs. Mm -hmm. So for a liver to be able to grow and reproduce and do what a liver does without the brain controlling everything, which it does not control. We, we know this in neuroscience. The brain doesn't control everything. There has to be a local consciousness in there. So that sounds out there to some people, but there is one. But how smart is my liver? <laughs> how big is that consciousness? <laughs> Let's put it to you this way. 
your liver can communicate in frequency and synthesis enough for me to read what's going on with the liver. And also, your liver is not just communicating to the rest of the organs. It's also communicating to other factors as well. It's communicating to the energy that's around you. So consciousness, living, I call it living consciousness, or the way we were taught in shamanism as, as children, living consciousness, everything that is living and everything that is here and everything that you see, everything that you see with your eyes was created by men and women on planet earth. Everything else was created by creation. That energy that has consciousness is aware of itself and aware of everything else and looks for signals and frequencies to match so that it can communicate and see if it's necessary to connect with it or if it needs something from it. Because everything in this world and in the universe is about pouring into another vessel. So every vessel pours into another vessel and another vessel and another vessel and it keeps feeding it in that way. That's the reason why I say on earth, like one of the biggest mistakes we've made as human beings is that we hoard and we we limit because every time we limit and we hoard and we create judgments and we create ideas about things without going and drawing like discovery and drawing a hypothesis and coming to a conclusion we just assume that we're we're intelligent beings right we have logic that we just say i could say oh you know this thing exists and someone's like yeah that doesn't exist that's because they're uneducated and they're arrogant and what they don't realize is through that they're withholding and as they withhold and more withhold and withhold everything is pouring into and if there's a withholding going on that means the next person or the next energy or the next spirit in nature or the next cell in your body is not getting poured into. And so there becomes a depletion and that depletion creates imbalance. And so in order for the system, not just your internal system, but your external system, as well as your environment, as well as your city, as well as the people on earth, is the more and more we don't realize that we're all connected and there's no there's no separation in communication, data, and data streams and flow, both input and output. Until we recognize that, we are going to continue to suffer because the energy that is taking place with its connectivity to everything is being thwarted and being distorted because there's people are and certain energies that are not allowing the flow to move through them. That flow is consciousness and data, and those energy forms of data is what allows everything to grow in the universe and expand and create new universes. Some of the latest research in quantum physics and even in other fields is around information field theory. And it supports what you just said, which is that you can describe everything, especially life, as a set of interacting fields that contain information. And there are a group of people, non-shamans, these are Western researchers mostly, but all of them end up being they end up sounding <laughs> like Eastern philosophers uh, who are looking at even these communications between organs or looking at um, the way we interact within our bodies or between each other, all as a big interaction of complex fields. Does that match your view of reality? Yes. Um, but when you say reality, I wouldn't say reality because reality exist on multiple dimensions and the reality in which you choose is actually what it matches. Uh, for me, um, as a shaman, I look at the connectivity and I also look at what's not connecting and I look at what's actually not 
being filled in, what's not being poured into. So like for instance, if I'm working with someone's body, I can tell the feet to wake up and connect. The, the feet don't wake up and connect. I can ask the wind, I can ask the trees, I can ask the earth, I can ask your breath, I can ask any other energy source to communicate to your feet. And then your feet, I can have them communicate to your hands. I can have your hands communicate to your heart and I can build the whole entire system back to the way it needs to be according to the level of communication and input. Frequency creates the input. So the level of frequency that rises up the higher the input level. When the frequency is a low, that means the body's not getting a strong enough input, so the data streams are lessened. That's why people go into depression. That's why they go into psychological issues such as like depression, dementia, bipolar, all of these things that humans have put names onto. In shamanism, we don't see it that way. We see it as that there is a lack of communication happening with the outer world and their internal world and what's in their regional. So that means with the people they're around and the things that are happening to them. And then there's also the communication that's coming back from their from their bloodline. So you have your RNA in your body, which is also communicating data and information to the body. When the synthesis of energy that moves out of your subtle energy field connects to the outer and then the inner goes back in with more data, it goes to your RNA and matches frequency in your body and your body then creates either an imbalance or it creates um, homeostasis. If I wanted to take what you just said and I wanted to use it to, we'll just say not, not have bipolar disorder, not that I've ever had that, I don't have it, but let's just say someone listening does. How do you take that and actually apply it? Okay, so let's take someone who calls himself bipolar. Okay. Bipolar is created by what we call an aggressive response. An aggressive response means that the person who is quote unquote calling themselves bipolar has uh, a deficiency in their ability to regulate the energy that's happening both internally and externally, meaning in easier words and easier terms, creating boundaries for themselves that allow them to sustain life, sustain preservation of themselves. When they cannot sustain preservation of themselves, they become people pleasers. They become a person who thwarts more energy outward to other people. They exonerate their energy. They exasperate their energy. They constantly keep putting their energy outside of them, therefore creating what we call an energetic drain. That energetic drain needs to be brought back. So what happens? They create another part of their consciousness that does, what it does is it goes out to pull that energy back in. The reason why bipolar people People swing the pendulum from one side to the other side so quickly is because the occurrence that happens within the duality and structure of how they actually bring energy out is the same occurrence that has to come and bring it out. And because they bring it out in such an intense way, because they don't have a register for their own self-preservation the other side comes out to take back its power, to take back its energy. And this creates what you experience when you're dealing with a bipolar person. So you see them being like two types of people. It's not that they're two types of people. It's just that they're not having a clear understanding of the preservation for their own being. And because it's so out of balance that they had to create an aspect of their being to get back the energy that they keep putting out. In other words, this is creating what we call an aggressive um, behavior. The aggressive behavior is coming from the outside world. Somewhere from the time of their pregnant, from the being inside of their mother's womb to their environment, 
to where they live, to what the weather conditions are, because everyone, if someone is born in cold weather, doesn't mean cold weather is right for their system for optimum health and for a high level um, production for their ability to have their mind at optimum levels. So their body is picking up on all of these energy frequencies that are taking place. And if and if, if, if more than three or four energy frequencies are considered an aggressive aggressor on the body, the way that it's being dealt with in a bipolar, a bipolar person is they go and they want to like fix their environment by dealing with everyone else's energy. Every someone says, someone can say to them, you know, I really need you to do this for me. And they'll say, yes. Um, you know, how do you feel about this? They're not going to say, I don't like it. They're just going to be comfortable with the fact that someone is going to do something without checking into their own self-preservation. And in that moment, They'll swing the pendulum within a week time, within three days. It's usually a pattern between five, and sometimes I see a pattern between eight when I'm working with my people that I work with who are bipolar, um, who are what they call themselves bipolar, and I'm helping them out of it. It swings the other side in that time frame. So what I do is I help them build an understanding of self-preservation and what it means for them. So we look at several things. We look at their environment, where they are, their surrounding areas because their surrounding areas could be cluttered and they're a person who needs tidiness. We look at their weather. How does the weather affect them? The food they're eating, the way that they're um, interacting with their friends, their society, because social engagement has a huge part to play in your and your ability to maintain optimum health and optimum mental performance, as well as the types of things they're engaging themselves in. And then we look at what they keep, what energy are they extending outward and what energy they're not taking in all of this gives me an idea using um, that full mapping process and understanding of what's causing this infraction inside of them and leading them to become bipolar. Is that something they taught you in your shamanic lineage or something that you it's, figured out or something you heard from the universe? How do you know that? <laughs> In shamanism, they teach us about how human beings operate and how nature operates. And then it's for us as the shaman, this is what decides us on like what level we are in our, in our, in our path, what we decide to do with that information and how we expand on it. For me, personally, I decided to take it to a whole nother level. So it, yes, I have the understanding of how the human being works and how nature works and how environment works and how things affect the body, infect the mind, infect the emotions. Now, just basically looking in observation and understanding by taking on experimentations with people who are bipolar, who are no longer bipolar, because of working with me, I'm able to see exactly through the many um, experiences that they went through with me shamanically, what is the underlining issue and then what brings it into balance. So you've observed a lot of people who had been labeled as bipolar and you look at the interaction of them with the environment around them and you figure out what it is. Is it the same for each of them or it's it's different? There's other stuff? factors that play into it. Uh, one aggressor can be greater than the other and it could be an aggressive person or energy in their space. So, but it, nonetheless, it's still an aggressor. There's still a lack of self-preservation within their being and that lack of self-preservation creates an imbalance in their system, thus creating a chemical imbalance inside of them. So what if I want to learn the secrets of how the universe works, but I don't necessarily want to become a shaman. Mm. Uh, where do I get all that? I teach it to my students. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do your students become shaman or, or how does that work? You know, um, 
I always say that if they're willing to be devoted and they're willing to honor the the teachings of their ancestors of what their ancestors didn't learn and then and then take place like so a lot of times people think you know in shamanism it's about just the ancestors the ancestors um, a lot of your ancestors didn't complete a lot of their lessons when they were on earth. So as a shaman, when they go to the other side, they learn what that incompletion was and they share it with you. That's why having a relationship with your ancestors is so important when you're on this spiritual path. So if they're willing to be reverent to and understanding the self-preservation of nature, the self-preservation of animals, the self-preservation of humans, understanding within themselves, learning the tools, learning the reverence, learning the respect, and using that not as a side hustle, but as a life devotion, yes, they can be a shaman. The spirits in the um, the elders or the great council will um, you know, mark them and bring the energies that are necessary for them in their to become a shaman. It's not for everyone. And you can learn shamanic things without becoming a shaman. You just utilize them as tools like you would everyday life. Like it's one of the things that I work with a lot of people. A lot of people I work with who are like CEOs or doctors or psychotherapists, they don't come to me because they wanna be a shaman. They come to me because they wanna have an enhance of what they already know and they wanna enhance the knowledge or the information or the data of what they know so they can have a much more, uh, more wider viewpoint of what they're experiencing. Can you use your shamanic powers to, say, win at poker? I did it one time in my life. <laughs> That's funny that you say that. I love you. Okay. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming. So <laughs> basically, I had a friend, um, two buddies of mine, and my friend Franco, my friend Brian, they took me in Atlantic City, and they're like, use your powers at the roulette table. And I used my powers and we won a lot of money and we gave a lot to charity. Um, we then gave money um, to some friends of ours who needed help. And then we went shopping and we went like, you know, did a lot of fun stuff. So another friend of mine named Marjine, who is an actress, she called me up. She goes, I heard what you did for them. Can you come to Vegas? So I came to Vegas and again, same thing. And what happened was I got, not, I, I felt like a wall was above my energy, like something was blocking. I could feel the power of an energy pushing against me not to be able to use my powers. So I kind of freaked out. I was like, something, my powers aren't there anymore. Something is gone. So I said, I need to find a psychic immediately. I need to know what's going on. So she's like, there is a psychic reader in New York, New York. So we walk over to New York, New York, and there is this woman sitting at this table doing psychic readings on this guy. As I got closer to her table, she turns around and looks at me and goes, this is not your world. And these powers were not meant for this world. Your world has come to help people to put the power back in their hands and support them in becoming more evolved. This is not your world. This is a different dimension. Leave it now. And in that moment, I never went back. And she said that without you saying a word to her. Without saying a word. Wow. And I was done. That was it. And then I went to my room. I called my mother, Varushka. And my mom goes, I need to show you something, honey. And I go, what? She goes, put your legs on the wall. Uh, so like you know, where you put your legs up on the wall vertically and where your wall, your legs are kind of like straight up and your back is laying down. She's like, cross your arms. It's a technique we use, cross your arms. Like, you know, you're in like in a coffin kind of pose. She goes, close your eyes. I'm gonna guide you to something. And she took me out of my body and lifted me above the city. And then she told me to look at the city and she goes, do you see all those beautiful lights that are twinkling? I said, yes. 
She goes, those aren't twinkling lights. Those are people's souls that are being lost. Whoa. And she goes, now go back to your body and pack your bags and come home. And that was it for me. Oh, that's pretty dark. She's she. My mom can be a bit intense. She's Viking. <laughs> <laughs> Good God, she, she's intense. But you know it, what? It, uh, say however, not, but uh, what she did for me was she showed me what the city was, what Vegas was doing, what this type of energy was doing to people. Um, and it was interesting because I could hear the echoes as I was leaving the city. I could hear people lost everything and I could hear their screams. And then she opened my, my energy up to it. And I asked myself, I don't want to use my powers for this. So I stopped doing it and I never did it again, ever. Are there other people who do that? Yes, but I, I would say that if you are coming from a place of service for humanity, you're working with a high council of elders of all the tribes and all of whatever it is you're tapping into in the higher planes. If, if you're a person who's operating in that place, people, I wouldn't believe those people would use their powers for that because it's not meant for that. It's meant to put the power back in people's hands so they can use their own powers for, to better their lives. The reason I'm asking this isn't because I have a desire to uh, manipulate gambling machines or poker or something like that. But how do you know if someone is using something like that against you? So you mean if someone is using their powers against you? Sure. I'm so, so uh, assuming all of the, the abilities that you're exhibiting are things that other people can learn, that could give them an unfair advantage. So then you'd want the ability to prevent other people from using that against your interests. So every human being on earth has um, a sensory system. Some is stronger than others, depending upon what they're actually um, picking up on. If it's like EMF or they're picking up on, you know, watching scary movies or things that are like literally polluting them, like music, for instance, the mantras of death, right? Or I call it brain sting is what I call it, right? Certain songs are like programming you with mantras. So if someone is, is very clear in their energy or, you know, really just present with other people's energy, they'll sense an, an imbalance energy. They'll feel uncomfortable and they'll feel like a, a lack, a distrust happening because we're all connected you will know when there's a distrust, when there's an energy that is out of balance. The thing is for you to do is it'll stand out for a moment and it'll go away. And that's when people have to realize that the way intuition actually works or the way that our sensing ability works is that it stands out and it goes away. So you have to catch it. And that's where that's where awareness comes in, right? And so if you sense that immediately, you have two choices. You can either one, you can... Um, you can push back. Push back is a wonderful thing. We call it push. And I'm really seeing, so I've seen a couple of movies where people use it, but it's a shamanic tool. You create a strong emotion in your body and then you hurl that emotion. People do it all the time in relationships. Like if you ever walk in a house and people say like, oh my God, I just walked in the house and I felt nothing but a dark cloud, you know, from the person who's in the house. That's because they're pushing their emotional empathic energy in a dysfunctional way. They're using emotional senses into the room. So you actually feel their pain. You feel their emotions. People do it all the time on planet earth. They want you to feel their pain. They want you to feel that, but there's other ways to use empathic energy in more functional ways. And shamanic pushing is taking an emotion and pushing it across the room. So if you um, come across someone who's doing that you can take an emotion 
um, that is opposite of what they're doing and push it at them and it will stop them from being able to do it. What's it like to die, both from your own experience and your shamanic view of it? Okay, so I'll go from my experience um, of what happened to me when I was 28 when I died. So the first thing that happened to me was, well, because I died a very painful death because I died with a 10.6 potassium. So all my organs shut down and that was very painful. And how did you get a potassium level like that? Uh, because my kidneys failed. And through that potassium increase, your organs start shutting down. And when the organs shut down, it feels horrifying. It's like literally someone ripping into your body for a moment, but then it moves and moves and moves and moves until it gets to your heart and you can feel it. Sometimes people's heart go right away, but for me, I felt all my organs shutting down. And then what happened was, um, as I was screaming in my head, I changed my mind, I changed my mind, I don't wanna die, and like screaming and screaming and screaming. I kept hearing this voice say to me, everything is gonna be fine, just let go, just let go, child, everything is gonna be fine. Finally, the pain became unbearable, so I let go, and when I let go, it felt like I was in liquid, and uh, I could see like lights everywhere. It was like, I remember telling my friend that it was like being on the bottom of an ocean or a pool where you can see the glimmering lights above, but you're inside, you're in the depths of the water, and I could see and hear everything that was going on in the hospital. I could hear everyone's thoughts, I could see everything and feel everything in every single person simultaneously and be aware of each individual feeling if I want to. And then from there, um, my grandmother was standing there and my aunt was standing there and they came and, you know, and said, you know, you're going to go through this next journey, but you're not alone. All of a sudden I felt like I was inside some kind of ocean, but I realized that I was actually inside of my mother's stomach. And then I realized I was standing outside of my mom watching her give birth while experiencing the birth, while experiencing the feelings of the doctor, while experiencing the feelings of my mom and listening to their thoughts at the same time. And then I went from that scene and to the next scene and to the next scene of my whole entire life. So I had my whole life shown to me and how I affected every person on the planet and how it affected other people that they affected on the planet. And I could see how all of it was spread out and I could feel all the emotions all the way up to the point of dying. And then I just let go. And it's a moment of letting go. And for me, what ends up happening afterwards is I ended up on, uh, it looked like a beach, but I couldn't see hands or fingers or anything. I was a part of this just this complete open consciousness of everyone. And I could hear and experience everything. And then this woman came to me, she didn't move her mouth. And she asked me, what did I wanna be? And I asked her, can, what can I be? And she goes, you can be anything you want here. And I said, can I be the way I was before I died? And all of a sudden I saw my hands appear, but I didn't feel bones and I didn't feel cold sensations. And I didn't feel like I feel like right now, I can feel things crawling on me. You know, and I can feel energies moving through me. I can feel like blood flowing in me. I I can feel like this organic, like, how can I put it? Like, um, well, I'll just be straight up about it because that's how I felt and that's how I've always felt. Ever since I came back to my body, I feel dirty. It feels dirty to me. Like I can feel like liquids and things touching my skin and like little pinches and little sparks of energy and feelings moving through my stomach and my heart and everything. Whereas on the other side, it was just warm and it was just pure love. 
and everything felt orgasmic, like the best orgasm, the best food I've ever eaten, the best conversation I've ever had, the best laugh I've ever experienced, all wrapped up into one sensation. And do you want to hear the whole story? Um, sure. So after that, she, I asked her all types of questions. I asked her about the earth. I asked her about suffering. I asked her about dying. I asked her about sickness. I asked her about war. I asked her about all these things. And she told me all human suffering comes from one thing. And I asked her what it was. And she said malfunction in thinking. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't um, like a debate or like I didn't have a conscious, my consciousness wasn't like, oh, you know, this is the way it is. My consciousness simply went to, yeah, like that was it. I knew. That sounds almost like stoicism. Tell me what that means exactly. Uh, well, the Stoics are an ancient Greek perspective that's, I'd say, caught on in Silicon Valley. It's a way of thinking that suffering comes from wrong thinking and that thinking things like health, wealth, happiness are of inherent value. So you seek those things. And when you think your way out of that, then you can uh, essentially eliminate suffering in your life. So here's what they told me. So they said that human beings um, are creators and that creation or God, however people want to interpret it, is not um, the way that human beings interpret God and that creation literally is creation. So every time you think and every time you talk, you're creating. You're either creating destruction or you're creating life. You're creating power. Whatever you put in your body, it's either destroying you or it's creating. So everything is creating a data stream of information and that data stream either is expanding or decreasing depending upon how it's being used. So what humans do is humans spend a lot of time complaining. They look at things negatively. They're giving more power to it. They talk about things. They don't talk to them. Most human beings do not talk to themselves. They think it's crazy. So what they do is they let other people talk to them. And that right there is like a really big mistake because one, first thing you have to understand is that just because you see someone physically in front of you does not mean they're in the same dimension as you. Human beings can be in different dimensions while still physically looking, being in front of you and right in, in your presence. That means that their spirit, you can be sitting on a mountain, a person can be sitting on a mountaintop looking at the ocean and literally not be there, but be in the past of the pain that they went through and not really fully present with the ocean in that body. So you could be talking to someone who's completely in a hell type region and everything you're saying to them seems like a personal attack. You could be talking to someone who's in a realm where time runs out and all they're thinking about is how long is it gonna take for you to finish because they got things to do. So when you're talking and someone is talking to you, one of the things we do in shamanism is we watch what they say. It tells us what dimension they're in. Then why would I wanna listen to you if, you, if I wanna be in a place of love and be in a place of well-being, why would I listen to you who's speaking from a place that is not in that same dimension? So my, for me to be, have self-preservation, it's for me to speak to myself. And that's what they mean by malfunction in thinking is that we have everything that we've experienced in this world was thought of by other beings in other galaxies. They created this planet. Now it's our job or we choose it to be our job. It's our choice, of course, to think and dream the better dream for other galaxies and other dimensions to be created. That's why shamans say you're dreaming 
and you're you're creating your dream. It exists in all forms of shamanism, including African shamanism. You're creating your dream by the way you talk and the way you think. And so when she told me a malfunction of thinking, when I came back to the body later on, after I came out of my coma and all that, when I was sitting in my wheelchair for a year and a half, I was doing a lot of thinking about it. And I was thinking, if malfunction in thinking is keeping me in this wheelchair, malfunction in thinking is keeping me with the brain damage, then all I need to do is use my consciousness and think for my legs, think for my brain. And I did, and I got out of the wheelchair. And I did, and my brain damage was healed. And so that is how, um, that is how I believe suffering is being created, is that we don't think correctly. You know a thing or two about suffering because after you, you got out of your coma, you were on kidney dialysis for about 10 years? Mm-hmm. That's right. And at the end of that, your sister donated her kidney to you. Yes. How did you deal with 10 years of what's pretty hellish people I know who've been through dialysis? <laughs> it was very painful. Yeah. You know, here's the funny thing, because a lot of people think I'm crazy. Uh, I went to the dialysis clinic early. My, my sessions were Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I went an hour early so I can spend time with the doctors and the nurses and do like healing on them and massages on them and talk to them because I wanted to give them a lot of love because they were giving a lot of love to all the patients. So I wanted to make sure that they were well taken care of. Uh, for me, a lot of people thought I was crazy. They're like, no one wants to be here. Why would you come early? As a shaman, there's an old, there's a, the way we look at things and the way we're taught in shamanism when we're kids is the first thing our teachers teach us is take what's given. So whatever is given, take it because it's leading you to a diamond, a gem, a stone or something sacred that you're going to be able to pass to the world. Something you're going to be able to give away that's going to fill up another person's vessel or fill up billions of people's vessels. So for me, I didn't look at dialysis as like, wow, this sucks and I'm, I'm suffering and I have needles poked in my arm and I'm having aneurysms in my arm and I'm having my arm cut open every, week, every two weeks for um, androplasties. I looked at it as a walk um, through life and I took full devotion into my dialysis. I didn't complain about it. I would do my sessions and I would meditate and the next day I was seeing six, seven clients. I was traveling to the jungle. I, I, I rigged my dialysis machine on a, on a rig so I can take it with me into the jungle. I was very much active in working with other patients. And I found that me just acknowledging that this is just a thing that I'm going through, but this doesn't stop what I've come to do. And by doing that, it taught me something that you don't have to um, you don't have to suffer, you choose to suffer, you choose to complain, you choose to make things hard, you choose to make it this way. And it gave me such a resilience, such a feeling inside of me that told me I can do anything. You've talked about how you can talk to organs in other people's bodies you've got your sister's kidney, what do you say to it? I give it love all the time. I talk to it, ask it what it needs. And one, it was really funny because one time I went to the kidney doctor and he's like, it looks like your um, kidney is having uh, difficulty. 
So I asked, I went home and I spoke to my kidney. I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, you're traveling, you're not taking enough time to take care of yourself. You're exerting too much energy in your work towards people. You need to cut down on how many people you're seeing a day. And it told me to cut down. I was seeing six, seven people and I cut it down to four. And then I went back to the doctors and they're like, oh, your kidney's fine again. So it really, you know, it really helps to communicate to your your organs in your body, your everything, everything listens to you. And if you have respect, it will do what you ask it to do. That's how I got out of the wheelchair, you know, and they told me I was never going to walk again. And literally I was like, you don't have the right to tell me what's going to happen to me. I am the one who decides I'm the creator of this experience and my vessel. And this first thing you learn in shamanism is that everything you're the one doing everything. And so you have to speak into existence that which you choose to create and then create it and not create it with like, is it going to work or is it really going to happen or is it possible? Like the moment you do that, you've already canceled your creation and it's just waiting for you to create again. What's the weakest organ in my body right now? Your weakest organ? Hold on. I have to talk to all your organs. Uh, let's run a scan through his system and communicate with each of his organs. Um, heart, how are you doing? Um, how are you doing energetic wise? What is your levels? Okay, good. Uh, kidneys, what is your levels? Kidney says your um, levels are a bit low. Okay, why? Your body processes a lot of stuff. Your kidney says it processes a lot. So between your liver and your kidneys, it's doing, it's communicating the most together. Um, what are your are your levels uh, sufficient enough? Okay, yes. Uh, liver, what is going on with you? Liver says it needs to stay detoxified also because it's working with the kidneys. How are you doing? Are you okay? Um, it's saying no. Uh, why aren't you okay? Uh, the liver saying it's having to release, it's pushing out something and it's talking about bile in your system. Go ahead. More tension. Okay. And um, what's going on? Why? What, what's happening with that? Um, flare up. Mm, okay. So it's talking about gallbladder. It's communicating your gallbladder, your liver, and your intestines. And your intestine, your bile that's releasing from your um, from your gallbladder, is, and it's also from your um, your liver. There is a in- disruption happening inside. Uh, go ahead. Why? Your body says bacteria. Um, what, what? Tell me more about that. It says that there is something that you put in your system that your body's having to clean out and it's having a difficulty processing it through and it's getting better. However, its energy levels are not at the level that it should be. And you have to be um, very careful because your pancreas is getting a little bit of that um, energy. But the um, pancreas, are you okay? Pancreas is okay. Um, go ahead, Spleen. How are you? Um, a little bit down, but not completely bad it's the liver the gallbladder and your intestines in and your there's um inflammational gates and the body's not processing um clear through those points it's interesting a couple weeks ago i tried a new probiotic that totally jacked up my gut uh, which would be the the bacterial thing and i've been working on recovering from that ever since didn't work very well for me and then uh, two days ago, I had some gluten at a restaurant that uh, told me there wasn't gluten in the thing, uh, which caused a gut flare up. Um, the one thing that you didn't mention is I also only have one kidney. 
but it's twice as big as a normal kidney. So you probably wouldn't, wouldn't have picked that up because it's functioning like it normally would. Yeah, I didn't look at what you had in your body. Uh, I was just talking how it was to doing. the health. Was yeah, what it's, it's doing. But that's remember I told you the kidney said it's um, that it's a little bit low. Yeah. That's probably the reason why it's saying that because uh, it's doing all the work. But remember I said it's working really hard. Uh, that's true. Yeah, And that's the reason why, because that would make sense. Now I understand why the kidney says it's working really hard. Yeah, it's uh, fortunately I've never had any kidney issues because it uh, it's when, when you're born that way as I was, uh, you just... Uh, um, you just grow a big kid, uh, which is kind of cool. Well, it's, it's intriguing to hear that stuff. It definitely matches with some things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, so it, it's hard to, hard to dial that in because I don't have lab results that say, you know, matches all those <laughs> things. But I can tell you my gut's been inflamed from that damn gluten, uh, in a way that was not particularly happy. Well, your gut shows inflammation, but it's also around your intestines too. It's not just your gut because your 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 liver said that it's doing a lot of work clearing out bacteria and in your system that was not right for your body that it causes um causes an imbalance and so the imbalance is affecting um how your system is is flowing so uh, you're it's going to be a while it says before it takes full it's getting better though um how much longer um is it um body for you to correct this imbalance less than a week to about a week uh, your body is just processing and cycling the last bits of it. Um, so you're just going to have to just wait, it says, because it's it has to work with three organs. Fascinating stuff. Uh, definitely directionally accurate, uh, given whatever whatever the heck happened after I took that that probiotic. That was not a good evening and, and the next day. <laughs> yeah, it's like everything, everything didn't work right after that, um, but it is improving, so... Uh, reasonably accurate, which is kind of cool. And I just put you on the spot there. So I like being on the spot. In a recent magazine article, you talked about how you do shamanic exercises to increase your powers and to raise your energy frequencies and open your consciousness with movements. What is the movement that best raises your energy frequency and opens up your consciousness? Uh, jumping jacks, burpees, like what, what do you do here? <laughs> It's called shamanic passages. And actually, one of the movements that actually opens up your energy is creating circles with your hand. Um, you, so you do it clockwise, and then you do it counterclockwise, and you breathe in each direction. So you do that with your arms while being in a squatted position. And then at the very end, you swipe your hands all the way up to the sky as fast as you can. This raises energy frequencies in your body and spins your electrons faster. Uh, the other um, one that is really great um, for opening up consciousness is you basically take your hand and you, you go from right to left. So you go to right first and you clap your hands together. You swing it all the way down towards the earth to pull magnetic energy up. You go to the left, you smack your hands left, and then you go above your head you bring your hands together in the center of your heart and you make a sound woo, like that with a woo with a woo 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 like that and what it does is it increases your brain activity and it keeps it makes your your mind alert and focused and direct 
And it's really great in shamanism because one of the things that we have to do in shamanism is be able to sustain energy. So uh, for us, it's all about creating sustainability within our body, sustained happiness, sustained joy, sustained power, sustained energy. And that really creates that because you're using magnetic energy frequencies in the shamanic passage with creating the woo. And that opens up your energy strong and sends all that energy and blood to your brain. And it's a wonderful feeling. Do you have these things on your Instagram page or something where people can see you do them? I have some, but I stopped doing it, but everyone keeps asking me to do it, but I've been doing other things. So there's some on there, huh? Yeah. And your Instagram is what? Shaman Durek, I'm guessing? Mm -hmm. All one word? Mm -hmm. All right. That's D-U-R-E-K if you're interested in seeing that. Yes. And having talked with a, a great variety of energy healers and people from different ancient traditions... There's something pretty interesting about moving your arms around and making unusual sounds that seems to be a common element in ancient Chinese practices, uh, all sorts of things. Even Art of Living has certain sounds that you make when you're breathing in a certain way. So I can tell you, though, I wouldn't want to be in the hotel room next to you when you're practicing exercises. <laughs> Dave. Hey, maybe you maybe you do maybe you want to be in the hotel next to me because i can hang out and we can geek out uh, that's a fair point it actually it actually wouldn't bother me but it, it's kind of funny if you ever hear that strange um whooping sound from the hotel room next door oh and the hitting of the thighs yeah and the stomping of the feet i actually did it today i did actually i did um an african passage on you today which um, when I was working on you, I was stomping on the earth to pull the earth spirits up into your body so that you, more poison would come out of your mouth. It, it was it was pretty interesting. You really were speaking in a lot of different languages mm -hmm. and uh, it, it didn't sound like memorized sort of stuff. You were, <laughs> you spoke with different accents. It was, it was pretty unusual. And, and that's all stuff that just comes through you. Well, the spirits come in. They're all standing around your body and then they take turns depending upon what needs to happen. Something that's interesting about your practice is that I've known a, a few different shamans who call on one or two different traditions, but usually it, it's either when they were uh, brought into or, or quite often it's, well, it's what my family has been doing for 20 generations. I was born into this. But you call on an incredibly wide variety. You've got some uh, Mahayana Buddhist, some Native American traditions, Egyptian stuff, Indian stuff, uh, elementals, Akashic records, the whole thing. Not Akashic records. Oh, you don't? Where did no. I, I find that? I found that in my notes somewhere. I'm not sure. But Akashic records, I deal with the Oberian spirits who wrote the Akashic records. Okay, got it. And for uh, for people listening who have no idea what we just said, the Akashic Records are, uh, in certain spiritual traditions, believed to be at the place where uh, sort of all knowledge is recorded. And there's there's things that run them, and you can go and ask them questions. And I've, I've actually known a good number of people who seem to be able to know things that they have no business knowing they didn't know a minute ago mm -hmm. after they go into an altered state. And I even know thanks to my work at 40 Years of Zen, what that altered state looks like on an EEG. So Yeah, Ovarian Council yeah. is the one who, who okay. created the Kashuk Records. They're powerful um, beings. Now, how did you get plugged into so many different traditions like that? Because I've just never seen that before. So in spirit shamanism, we are visited by a council of elders that come from different tribes. Like, I'll give you an example. So one day, I was in um, in nature, 
and I was um, communicating with the ancestors, and they said another elder has, has you know decided to join with you. So I was like, okay. All of a sudden, this big, big black man comes in, big fat man comes in, and he tells me that he's one of the shamans from the Kuba tribe. And I've never heard of the Kuba tribe in my entire life. And he goes, you don't believe me? And I said, no, because I'm a big skeptic. So he goes, go to your computer and type Kuba tribe. So I was like, okay. So I go to my computer and I type Kuba tribe and it pops up. And he's like, that's me right there. And literally the Kuba tribe. And he showed me all these healing techniques from the Kuba tribe. He would get in my body. He'd make me lay down on the floor and practice having him go into my body so that he can move through my system and then he'd come out and then he'd, you know, sometimes he'd come out, it'd be uncomfortable, I'd feel nauseous and then he'd come in again. And that's what they do as a spirit shaman, we let different spirits come through us. And so we have Kuba elders, we have, you know, uh, native elders that come through and they, they choose you. And so because I am a spirit shaman and I'm full devotional, I have many elders that step in and take over. One time I was working on this woman and this elder came in and she goes, you're speaking Greek. And I go, okay. And she goes, no, you don't understand. Through the whole entire thing, you're speaking Greek. And then one time I was with this woman, I was doing Gregorian chants. And she was like, this is, this is, this is unbelievable. Like, how is this possible? I had an Italian guy, I was speaking Italian, but I was praying in Italian and all these powers were going through his body and he was shaking and he couldn't believe it. And what happens is these elders, I call them the great council. I, um, I came up with that name because it just works better for me the great council and they're all of the elders, not just of this world, but of the old world as well from the time of Pangea. So they come through and then they, they'll sometimes I'll lay on like down and they'll tell me, okay, get a piece of paper and take um, a paintbrush and draw this symbol. Now we want you to work on this symbol for six months and then memorize it in your mind and then use it when we tell you to use it. And so they'll come through and they'll say, it's time for you to use that symbol and then I'll use it. And then things happen. What's the single weirdest thing you've ever experienced as a shaman? Oh, no, really? <laughs> I don't know if you're ready for this one. I got to know. I had a um, shaman in Africa uh, put a curse on his daughter and granddaughter uh, because he wanted the tribe to turn into the dark arts. And I've been trained against the dark arts. So um, it was really interesting because I was on e-television. They did this whole segment on me. And the woman was at home and she saw me on E. She contacted my team. She said, I know he comes from African roots. I can see it in him. My father is a shaman. I was raised as a medicine woman. I need him to come to Washington, D.C. and to come, you know, help us because there's a spirit who's tormenting us from our family's tribe and in Mali, Africa. So I get on an airplane. She puts me up in this bed in Brefix. I go to her house, you know, she's swabbed in traditional clothing and I realize that she's traditional. So I have to follow the traditional way, which is you get down on the ground. You, you take one shoulder down, you kiss the ground, you take the, the left shoulder down. And then if she looks you in the eyes, she can sense your power. And then if she senses your power, she gets down and does the same thing and calls you Baba Lao. And so she, I did it. Then she stared at me in the eyes and she smiled and she got down and did it. And she called me Baba Lao, which means I am the teacher. I am the elder, even though she was an older woman. So I walked into her house 
and she basically locked uh, the door, which means that she doesn't want the energy out. She took salt and poured it by the door. And I noticed marks on the wall and like ash marks and things. And I noticed that the spirit that was in the house tormenting her that was sent by the tribe um, had enough power to punch through the physical world and actually grab arms. And so the daughter came out and she showed me like bruises on her leg. And, and you know, in Hawaii, because I spent a lot of time growing up in Hawaii as a kid uh, in Oahu, because my dad remarried to my stepmom, who's Hawaiian, you know, we have spirits to do things like that. So I was used to that, like the, you know, putting the fingers on the legs and, put, you know, putting bruises and stuff like that. And I know how spirits can punch into the physical because in Hawaii, I used to have this old man that used to come at night and hit me with a cane and tell me to take a walk with him. So I'm used to all that. <laughs> but this one was different. This spirit was a very uh, aggressive and uh, very attacking to to the woman and to her daughter. So I didn't realize the house looked small at first. And then she took me downstairs and there was like this huge room, like huge and in the room was like all of these altars. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Serpent in the Rainbow. Yep. It was like that. Wow. And there were like altars for like Shango and Ilegua and all these different deities. And there were like, you know, Ilegua is all about toys. And there were toys piled up to the ceiling. There was like an egg with powder all over another table. And there was like all these sacrificial knives and everything. And some African cultures, they believe in sacrificing. I don't believe in sacrificing. I love animals. However, a lot of my African friends in Nigeria and all over, you know, they they like to argue about it with me, but that's their issue. Uh, the thing is, so literally she had all of these altars and she sits me down and the daughter sits down and immediately I felt a spirit jump into me and it was one of the elders of my circle and I started laughing and speaking to her in her language and she started speaking back and we had a full-on conversation but I could hear what, what, what it was saying out of my mouth but I couldn't understand the words. So I thought, okay. And then after that, I felt this coldness come over the room, like almost like I could breathe my own air and I knew the spirit was in there. And all of a sudden I saw, I turned around and she, I looked at her and she jumped out of the chair and started strangling me. And so I was like, okay, I'm getting strangled right now. So now I really have to turn on my powers. So I called my ancestors to take as many ancestors and many spirits could take in my body to give me more strength, to pull her arms off of my neck. And then I heard my grandmother speak and she says, you have to be very smart with this one. This spirit that you're dealing with is coming from a tribe and they're doing many rituals to keep this spirit very powerful. And they said, you're going to be, you're going to have to deal with two. You're going to have to deal with her and her daughter. They're going to both get possessed. So you're going to have to punch them. You're going to have to smack them in the face. You're going to have to call it, You have to really physically hit them. And in some African cultures, as well as like Aborigine culture, and there is a lot of smacking and hitting and different things because the spirit's inside and we have to make it uncomfortable. So she came at me and I grabbed her and I threw her down and I started punching her in the stomach and I was smacking her on the top of her head and smacking her face and smacking her arms. And the spirit started laughing. It was getting mad. And then I, whenever spirit laughs, I know it's getting weak. For some people, they might think it's scary, but it literally, it means the spirit's getting weak. And so I kept smacking her. Then the daughter came behind me and, and I saw the daughter and I got up and I grabbed her and I grabbed both of them and I started hitting the daughter while the other one was, you know, like shaking and stuff because the spirit was getting weak in her. And I did the same thing to the daughter. And then 
um, I had a coin in my pocket, which is a technique we use, and it's actually used by gypsies. But what you do is you lick the coin and you say a prayer. And if there's a spirit inside the body, you put it on the front, on the top, where the top of the head. So I pressed it to their head and I started to pray over them while using my ancestors' power in their body. And they started shaking and coughing and coughing and shaking. And I had both hands, right hand on the daughter, left hand on the mother, and kept shaking and coughing. And then I saw black smoke coming out of her mouth in the spirit world. And then all of a sudden, my grandmother says, now. And so I opened up a portal into the light and sent the sent it away. And then all of a sudden, they were just crying like babies. And I just I washed their face and I washed their body. Like I was washing their arms and stuff. And then after that, they came to and they thanked me and cried in my arms and thanked me again. And that was a really intense for me. I mean, I've dealt with a lot of intense things being a shaman, but that that day was very intense because the day that I arrived in Washington, D.C., I checked into a bed and breakfast and the guy who owns the bed and breakfast, he heard about me. So he, he came to visit the bed and breakfast. and he stayed there and waited till I got there. And he had all these questions about the Bible. So he wanted to talk about, he's like, do you, have you ever read the Bible? Have you read the Bible? And I said, of course I have. And so he started spitting out verses and I'm like, actually that's incorrect. This is the verse <laughs> you're talking about. And he had no idea that I knew so much about the Bible. So it was really cool. And then he said to me, oh, he's like, you know, I'm going to make an extra pot of coffee for you and extra eggs and bacon in the morning. That was amazing. He's like, I had no idea that a shaman would know so much about religion. I said, I studied world religion as being a shaman. I'm not just, you know, studying plants or whatever. I'm studying physiology, kinesiology. I went to school and studied it. I also, you know, studied world religion, you know, because I need to be able to speak to other cultures and be able to speak to people. And I need to know what the heck I'm talking about. And so he was impressed. So that was interesting coming in face with him and then the next day having to deal with this African crazy spirit doing its thing. I come from a long line of engineers and I'm pretty sure that no one uh, in my family uh, that I'm aware of anyway has ever said, I've got a, a spirit fluttering around in my house causing trouble. They would have said a scientific explanation of a phenomenon like that. Um, how would people who don't come from, in this case, a woman from an African tribe who understood this is what's going on, how would they know if that was going on? If there was a spirit in their house? Yeah, sure. Well, there's several signs. It depends what type of spirit. If it's a family member, you get emotions and you get warm energy sent through your body and feelings and thoughts about that family member or ancestor. If it's a spirit that is a malicious spirit, that malicious spirit will do things to you. Like when you try to go to bed, it will hold you down in your bed and make you have paralysis. It will poke you in the back while you're sleeping, or it will, you know, do things to, to, um, to scare you. It, its whole purpose is to get you to go into fear. If it's a spirit that wants to find its way to the light and it knows that you have the ability to help it, or it's asking for help and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you have the ability it just knows that you're someone who can actually pick up on it. It will send messages to you, uh, like flickering of the lights. And it can even send messages to you in the sense of 
you know, calling your name, like when you're walking into a room, it can touch you or tap you like, but it won't do, it won't do it in a way that's, that wants, it wants to scare you. It will do it in a way to get your attention, to make things noticeable to you, that you know that there's something there. Uh, most times people will feel, feel it. They get a chill up their back, uh, free, like a freezing chill that will go up their spine. That doesn't mean that there is a, a dark spirit. Not all, like it could just mean that there's a spirit that can't find its way and it needs to tell you its story so it can move on. So I had a situation actually with my friend who, um, was, who works with Anna Wintour and Vogue. They're the two, two girls at Vogue. And she had a, a roommate who had a spirit that would come in every three o'clock and bother him. And one day we're at a dinner party at her house and she's like, she's like, you know, you gotta, she asked her roommate, she goes, I know you're afraid to ask Shaman Dirk, but just ask him. And he's like, well, I'm just gonna let you know, I've never had these type of experience. I come from this type of family and so forth. However, there's something that's coming in my room. I said, um, what does it say to you? It starts talking to me and I can hear it talking while I'm laying in bed. I said, let it finish its story so it can move on. Some spirits just want to tell their story to someone that will listen and move on. So it really depends. Other places you'll feel hot spots in the house. Like you'll feel a feeling of walking on the floor and all of a sudden there's like a cold area of the floor that sends a weird sensation through your body. Like you're spinning in a tornado or a gut feeling in your body or an uncomfortable feeling. Uh, those are energy vortices that have opened up. And it it really depends too. You'll know if a spirit is in the home that is not wanting you in the home because it will break your appliances. It will make like a lot of malfunctions go on in your home. I had a house in Hollywood Hills and we had the pool, uh, like the pipe broke near the pool. Uh, everything in the house was going, the electrical system went wrong, the alarm system went wrong, but water was flooding in, you know, all types of things was going on. And I knew immediately there was a spirit. And then not only that, um, every friend who spent a night at my house kept hearing, throw yourself from the balcony, throw yourself from the balcony. And at first I thought my friends, maybe they, maybe they had a little too much, you know, alcohol or drinking or whatever it is they, you know, were putting in their bodies. Then a friend of mine came with her daughter. She stayed in the guest um, room and she heard her daughter um, was in the middle of the night, got up out of the bed and she's like, what are you doing? And she's like, um, this voice keeps telling me to throw myself from the balcony, mommy. And so she was like, I can't stay in your house anymore. Something is affecting my daughter. And I felt uncomfortable the whole night. And I was like, okay. So I did some background check on the house and it belonged to the Kellogg's, one of the Kellogg's member of the family. And they actually was the son of the Kellogg's and they threw himself from the balcony of this house. And the house was then, um, you know, purchased by two other people. And then Johnny Knoxville bought the house. And then I got the house from Johnny Knoxville's wife when they divorced. And it's a funny thing is the whole time Melanie and Johnny were living in that house before their divorce they kept hearing the same thing. And so it was funny because I asked Melanie, like, why didn't you tell me? She's like, well, you're a shaman. I, f I knew you would figure it out eventually. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, great. So, you know, it, it's interesting, but, you know, poltergeists, um, they are real. However, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Spirits, they're more afraid of love than they are. Um, they are, they're just, they're just afraid of love. And so if you give any spirit love, even if it's like trying to put you in paralysis and you just feel love in your body, it will unlock your body. The, you have power over all of these things. And I tell people that all the time because I don't want people to walk around and be like, oh my God, there's something in my house. But here's the interesting thing, uh, Dave. 
Every human being on this planet has been visited by a shadow form at some point or another. I was very into Metallica growing up as a kid because Metallica told the truth. And people don't realize that when they were kids, that fear they had of something being under their bed or in their closet or the boogeyman or whatever, those were called shadow beings. And shadow beings come when you're children to gauge your fear levels so they know exactly how to scare you so that you'll never go into the unknown. As long as you'll stay in the world that they want you to stay in, you'll never go into the unknown and that's where your real power is. And so the thing is that I always teach people is to face your fears, lean into your aversions. Everything that you have an issue with, go into it. You know, like even my issue I have with spiders, like, you know, I had a friend a couple months ago put a spider on my wrist and just, you know, getting comfortable working, and I say working, loving myself through the process, change work to loving yourself, loving yourself through the process. And it just, it really empowers you. It really gives back your power. That's Definitely a, a walk into the unknown uh, so far in the interview today. Shelvin <laughs> <laughs> uh, Durek, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, what are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for me? What would you offer them? Uh, the first thing I would offer them is to retract their energy from being nosy in other people's energy fields. Because when you're tapping into other people's energy fields, because a lot of people are nosy on earth, they're always focusing on what other people are doing and engaging themselves to other people, such as comparing themselves and so forth. First of all, there's no one like you on the planet and there never will be anyone on the planet like you. And this is your time now. So the first thing I would do is tell them to, to disengage their energy of being nosy and bring it back into themselves. The biggest reason why people don't reach their high levels of performance is because of the fact that their energy is going outward and it's not going inward. And so that means that there's a leak in their energy, as we would say in shamanism. There's a hole, there's gaps in their energy. And if there's gaps in their energy, that means your neurological system, the way that your synapses are firing off in your and and everything inside of your brain all of your body is not getting the highest amount of energy so that's one the other one i would say if you really want to reach high performance in your life is really about how you communicate to yourself if you communicate to yourself by telling yourself, I love how every time I walk into a meeting, I light up the room and people listen to me and they're really tuned into what I have to say. I had a friend who was a public speaker and he asked me, Shaman Derek, every time you speak in public, people are really engaged. They're laughing. They're crying. They're going through all that. He goes, and I've seen that when I go on stage, I feel like people aren't present. I said, the reason why they're not present with you is because you think people are stupid. And that does not antiquate to what you're to people. So every time you go on stage, you're dealing stupid people. And so if you want those people to listen to you, you need to understand and change. You can still say people are stupid because that's your thought originally, but just simply say people are stupid and I'm a great educator. And, and these people have come to be educated. That creates a symbiosis of energy. That's a synergy. So how we communicate to ourselves and how we choose to perceive the world makes a huge difference on how we actually get to high performance because high performance only happens with awareness, attention, focus, drive, and understanding of how the mind is op operating. For instance, like, you know, I'm learning a lot from Dave and spending time with my bro here, geeking out, experiencing all this octane and everything. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, this stuff is like, you know, creating these high performances inside of you, but it's not just what you're putting in your body. It's also what's happening on the outside as well. Another thing I would say to them is disengage yourself from getting into arguments, 
uh, going into debates with people, <laughs> going into conversations that are really pointless and have no sustenance um, for your being on any level. And when I mean sustenance, means it doesn't fill you. There's two types of energies in the world. Either you're a tap or you're a drain. A tap fills you up. A drain drains you. So when I talk to people, if they start going into negative dialogue, I do what I do this thing. I, I basically I call it, you know, just really redirecting them. I ask them something different. If they keep going that place, I leave the situation. I don't have to stay in energy that is low vibration. I want to stay around people who are lit. I like, I, you know, I always tell people, get on my lit train. Let's get on the lit train. Drink the lit juice. Like, live a lit life. If people are walking around you and they're just like low energy, low vibration, you and you engage in that, you will actually take that energy in into yourself. So stay around people who are on that lit train with you because that means that, that they're lit, you're lit, you're building big fires, that fire is just, it's, it's blowing things up and creating an inferno and that's what you want. You want to stay in that place and that's what I would tell people. Beautiful. Shaman Dork, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio today. People can find you at shamandurek.com and we mentioned your Instagram earlier, which is funny enough, also Shaman Dork. Anywhere else people can go to learn more about a whole bunch of pretty unusual stuff. Yeah, I have a podcast as well, which I'm going to get you on <laughs> when we have time, of course, and our crazy schedules. Uh, my podcast is called Ancient Wisdom Today. And I bring in doctors. I bring in top scientists in the world. I bring in uh, celebrities. I bring in all types of people and everyday people, you know, who have something to say about the spirit world and about in you know, their lives and how do we create a better life it's if it's food if it's science if it's you know anything like my whole thing is about dave is creating a superhuman that is that is my dream yeah we share that superhuman i do believe that people can have superhuman powers and i do believe we can become superhumans i'm not about this species staying the same i think the adaptation of our species needs a complete upgrade and a complete enhancement. And I'm all about bringing enhancing tools, enhancing levels of thinking to get people to that high performance so that they can live that life that they wanna live. There's no reason why they can't. And that's why I love what you do. That's why I love the biohacking and I'm the spirit hacker. And I love spending time with you because I feel that same energy inside of you. And that's what it's about. It's about creating a superhuman. And that's my focus in this life. I think everyone listening has it in them to turn on lots of untapped energy. That's why we've just passed 500 episodes on the show. There's a lot of knowledge out there and some of it you probably haven't heard. And I'm guessing some of that for most listeners was on the show today and fascinating entire world that probably isn't visible to a lot of us without a little bit of work and awareness. And maybe just that initial suspension of disbelief to say, what if, and to just observe it for yourself and see what you find. It certainly helped me. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. 
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.